Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. What the hell happened to us last week? We got contacted by Beyonce's Shadow League. Mm-hmm. Parkwood Entertainment. Who reached out from far beyond our understanding of this world mm-hmm. and emailed us. Yeah. And said uh, that they were big fans of ours and they wanted to get on the phone. Very nice. So I did, and this woman, Yvette, she says, hi, you know, such huge fans of you guys. I don't know if I'm speaking to the manager, if I'm speaking to one of the brothers, but, and I say, no, no, this is one of the brothers. My name is Jeff, and she says, okay, and your brother's name is, and I say, Eric, and she says that she wants to bring us out to Cleveland for the first stop on the On the Run 2 tour by Jay-Z and Beyonce. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I need to give her some information, hmm. names, birth dates, all that sort of stuff. I hang up and I'm really excited about it. I'm just like, wow, that was really dope. That was really cool. Yeah. Like, this is somebody who we've never dealt with in any, like, we never even thought we were on their radar. Apparently we are. And then I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it's all like a little like weird because she says that she's a huge fan of ours. She doesn't know your name. She doesn't seem to know much about us. I just gave her a whole bunch of personal information. You've been catfished. I'm just like, oh my God, this is just like when the FBI showed up and I didn't think that it was an actual FBI agent. Which, I thought it was somebody who was here to rob us. Right. And so I do my due diligence and I look up this woman's email and I look up certain information about her and I'm just like, oh, okay, so this is a real person. This is a real situation. This is a real email. Like all, everything is checking off the, 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 the boxes that needs to check off. Except why is Beyonce's team interested in bringing us out? That I don't know. And... Because we're not, listen, we're not journalists. No. We are humble podcasters. Yeah. We are hip-hop sketch comedians. We are on the fringes of Beyonce world. And honestly, the only time that we've even done anything Beyonce related, besides doing a video years ago about where people would sit at Jay-Z and Beyonce's wedding, Mm -hmm. like all the different rappers, I reviewed the first On The Run tour for Vice, and... I said it was okay. I said it was an okay show. I said that it was way scripted and it didn't feel like a real energy coming from the stage. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel fun to me. And the Vice headline was like, this is the most disappointing tour ever or something, Mm. which is not what I came up with. But it was enough for Charlemagne to go in on me for three days on the radio and a a double XL column I think he had. We weren't going out there to review the show. We weren't asked to do anything. This was... Yeah, we don't really know why we were out Unsure. there. Unsure. And look, did was was there a part of me that thought maybe they wanted to have tickets sold and any good sort of uh, conversation about it would, would do something? Yes. But they never encouraged it. So we take a flight. We don't know anyone on our, on our plane. We land. There's a driver there with a sign that says Rosenthal. He said the only other guy that was supposed to be on your flight did not make it. And we were like, well, that's either terrifying or... Or it's our brother Dan. Yeah. <laughs> so it, at 6.45, we go down to the lobby to meet up with seemingly loads of people who were flown in like they were flown out to Wyoming for Kanye or they got on a plane for Rihanna for Def Jam five years ago. But there's one person in the lobby. And it's a cutout of Beyonce. Well, yes. The, okay, fine. There was that. But there was also Elliot Wilson from Rap Radar sitting at the bar. And we went over to him and he was just like, oh, well, didn't think anyone else was here. So it's the three of us. 
And he said, is that it? And, you know, that could have been it. But we recognized a few more faces that walked over a couple minutes later. Yeah. Daytuan Thomas, who's been on the podcast uh, from Vibe Magazine. Nadeska Alexis from Everyday Struggle. She's been on the podcast. Um, Kid Fury was there. Crystals. Um, we were taken in a small van over to the stadium. And they gave us our laminates. They gave us free reign to go. We saw uh, Raven who is the official photographer, who has also been on this podcast. And we saw Mike Carson, who is the creative director for Big Sean, who has also been on this podcast. It was, it was a nice collection of people. But in this NFL stadium, with the specter of On The Run 1, yeah, what were the expectations? I felt like, obviously, you know, you're being flown out by Beyonce's people, mm-hmm. and, you know, you're going to come out of it saying, like, the nicest things. Right. I was a little bit like, okay... You know, how many amazing shows are there? How mm-hmm. many shows are you like, wow, that that's like the best that that could have been, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was a little bit like maybe hedging my bets. I thought it Same. would be like, I thought it'd be fine. Same. I was I was ready for it to be okay. I've seen Jay a bunch of times. I've seen Beyonce now once. Mm-hmm. I, too, have seen Jay a million times. You sort of know what you're going to get. Let me tell you something, guys. We were wrong. This was, we were wrong. This was exceptional from the staging to the video production to the video screens to the band to Young Guru, the DJ, to the setup, to the dancers, to Beyonce and Jay-Z together and how they interacted with each other to their own catalogs and how they meshed and how they told a story and the narrative through this and the staging that goes into the crowd and then the staging that goes above the crowd, it was fantastic. And I don't know. I just had the best time. I know you did too. I know Nadeska did as well. But you know who had the most insane time? DJ Khaled. He did. DJ Khaled puts on the most insane performance. And I mean that in every sense of the word that you can think of. What does insane mean? I want you to look at DJ Khaled performing. That is what insane means. It's a great time. I highly suggest if you can make it to one of these shows around the country, please do so. You will have the best time. It's three hours of just hits. And and they perform it like it's brand new. So I, well, I can't co-sign it enough. Okay. My only, my only, only, only um, thing I wish would have happened is that they would have played more of the new record. Okay, fine. Because, That's you true. know, Jay and Beyonce, before this new record... Most of their collaborations are not my favorite. Right. I love this new album. I'm on the record saying this Carter's album is A+. Plus. It's It might be my favorite album of the year. I'm so on board. I, I agree. I wish they played more songs from that. I did see that in the DC show, which is not the one we went to. Yeah. The DC one, they played um, more of Ape shit. Okay. So, but, yeah. Okay. Beyond that, though, yeah. I do want to say this. After the show... Maybe there was an expectation that we might meet Jay and Beyonce. Yeah, you and Nadeska started this rumor. Okay. I really did believe that that was going to be the case. There, You know, again, it's just a handful of us. I know Jay knows us. I thought maybe we would have a chance to say hi to Beyonce. We were told that because she had all of her kids there, because there was a lot of family there, because she's a mother and Jay's a father, they had other responsibilities that they were taking care of besides taking care of us. But I do want to say this. Years ago, when we were maybe in middle school, high school area. We went to a family reunion down in D.C., and our mom made us flashcards for 
everyone that was going to attend so that we could be aware of who matched what face. And I really feel like Jay-Z and Beyonce are very aware of what happens in their circles. And I want to believe that they had similar cards, that they were like, okay, yes, Elliot and Nadeska and Daytuan and It's The Real, and these are the people who are invited. Mm -hmm. And this is going to sound a little crazy, but I promise this is true. There are these runways that go into the crowd from the main stage. Basically, they go along the hash marks of a football field lengthwise, right? And Jay-Z had finished performing on one end of that runway. And when he was walking back, he looked down at us and he saluted. Now, could there have been someone behind us? Yes. Yes. Okay. But I really believe that he was like, oh, tall one with the glasses, curly hair. They did the Rockefeller show one year ago. Like, I've seen their videos throughout the years. I've spoken to people about them. I've, I've also met him. I've, yeah. I yes, word has gotten back. Okay, I really do believe that that was at us, and that made my trip. I do want to bring up two things. Yes, which is one. I think that as we we're approaching our two hundredth episode of this podcast, mm-hmm. it feels like sometimes you don't know who you're speaking to, and you don't know who the audience is out there. You know, we're having fun in here, and we we sometimes don't really know what yeah what happens outside of these four walls right and so there was a moment at the end of the night where Yvette Yvette is has been Beyonce's publicist since she was 14 and she pulls out Daytuan Thomas and says that he's been with her since she was 14 and she pulls out Elliot Wilson for being a legend and she pulls out this guy for giving uh, Beyonce, one of her early covers, and, and all these people who matter. You know, she has relationships with all these various people, it seems. She says Nadeska and she are both from Grenada, so there's, like, that personal connection. And we don't have that. Um, again, like, she had said on the phone, like, you know, whatever she had said. And so at the very end, everybody's going off to the van, and Eric and I make our way over to Yvette to go, like, thank her for for bringing us out and also to to let her know how much like one she has such positive energy and and to let her know how much it mattered in that moment i think right like Mm -hmm. that's that's why we went over there Mm -hmm. and she stopped us and she goes i only recently found out about you guys but you guys are geniuses and i want you to know that and then she sort of like vanished into the night but it was like this very validating moment from somebody who has sort of seen so much and it really mattered it really mattered to me and and i think it'll matter to a lot of people who have watched our journey from two guys who sit in our parents house to sitting in our own apartment and it was it was just really cool for me what's most amazing is that one year ago to the day we were in new york doing our own rockefeller event which was incredibly difficult to put together and incredibly important to us to put together. And even watching it a year later on video, incredible. 
because these are stories that now last forever. These are interactions that last forever. And it's the best way to put on an oral history, I think, in front of a live audience taped for future generations to enjoy. And that's really meaningful to both of us. And it was our first live podcast and we worked very hard to sell it out. We worked very hard to make it the hardest ticket in town. And we've gone on to do other live podcasts, obviously, in Philly, in Brooklyn, in L.A., in London. And a lot of people have been asking about when our next live podcast is going to be in Manhattan. And the really good news is that we got something very special for everyone in all the five boroughs in the tri-state area and everyone around New York City. And listen, if you want to fly in, you may want to pay attention. This Wednesday, we will be making an announcement and tickets will go on sale this Friday for our next event in New York. Announcement this Wednesday. Tickets on Friday. And let's do this together, guys. Let's sell this event out and let's sell it out early. That last event that we did with Rockefeller was a can't miss event. And those people who missed it still comment on Instagram and Twitter and let it be known that they wish they were there. Don't be those people. Tickets will be available at itsthereal.com on Friday, get ready for that announcement this Wednesday. Jeff, who's on the podcast today? Jamel Hill. Jamel Hill. Jamel Hill, who grew up in Detroit and discovered her love of journalism while her mom was a housekeeper and she would go to these houses and she would be taught and she would be shown these newspapers by the man who lived there. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of people develop their passion later on in life she knew right from the beginning that sports journalism was her calling and she stayed the path and man through a lot of internships through a lot of jobs through a lot of responsibilities specifically at espn she's made herself one of the most dynamic people in sports journalism whether that's her reporting whether that's sitting behind a desk or whether that's actually uh, opining on anything and everything she is who you think she is in real life, and we had the best time talking about Detroit. We talked about Michigan State. We talked about Orlando. We, we talked, talked about, about the rules of Uno. We talked about Raleigh. We talked about Philly. We talked about New York. We talked about Washington. We talked about Cleveland. We had the best time with Jamel Hill. It, this has been a long time coming. Shout out to Brian Nolan, the SVP over there at Capitol Records, who was on the podcast maybe a month ago and made the connection for this time. This is a great episode. As always, we like to give recommendations of other episodes of our podcast you can listen to if you like this one. I would say number 166 with Rich Kleiman. Rich Kleiman, our Upper West Side brethren, the manager and business partner of Kevin Durant, the two-time NBA Finals MVP. And Rich has a dope story of his own, which includes managing different artists like Q-Tip and Mark Ronson, which includes working at Rock Nation and for Jay-Z, which includes taking a chance and striking out on his own with Kevin Durant to do things that are way bigger than basketball. 
It's a great episode. One of our favorites. I would say number 189, Taylor Rooks. Taylor Rooks, another sports broadcaster who had stops in Atlanta and Chicago and now New York. Truly one of our favorite people that we've ever met. Great energy. The most professional person. And she's just going to keep winning. She has a lot of great stuff on the way. And you guys should get to know her right now. And number 176 with Fonte. Fonte, man. You just hit on all of our favorite episodes. Fonte who everyone knows from Little Brother, Foreign Exchange. Some people know that he's done voice acting, but did anyone know that he was in The Color Purple? Jeff did. I did. And so we talked about it on the podcast. One of the many, many, many things that we went over in that exceptional episode. Go check that out with Fonte. Jeff, when do you want to get into this one? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Spent a Couple Bands, a.k.a. David Lee Roth. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Goody Mob, a.k.a. Salvation Army. This is Jamel Hill from ESPN. I feel like I just that was such a letdown for everybody. I was like, dang, they out the gate already? I gotta get warmed up. Yeah, this is a waste of time with It's The Real. <laughs> Jamel, what's happening? Hey, what's up, guys? I appreciate the energetic introduction. I do. We've been doing coke all morning. Now this is starting to make sense. It all makes sense. Jamel, um, I want to start with this. This morning, the Daily News uh, cut about half of their staff their newsroom, their sports newsroom is down like to like nine people or something like that. I believe they have no more on-staff photographers. As someone who worked in a bunch of different newsrooms, considering the times and considering your experience, how does that make you feel? Um, it, it makes me sick to my stomach. Um, I'm a career journalist. And, and certainly I have, I was in newspapers when they were going through some rocky periods where we started to see some trends that were very disconcerting in terms of where the business was going. But when you just think about uh, media and how it seems to be shrinking in many ways, yet, you know, shrinking and at the same time, a lot of money being poured into it, but not necessarily in the right ways. Uh, my heart goes out to all the staffers there, uh, those who've been laid off, those who have to witness others, their friends, their colleagues, great journalists um, having to to go through these layoffs but um you know and and of course you know new yorkers i mean the daily news is an institution here and um i think it's just disappointing and unfortunately it just speaks to just a, a really large and significant problem uh happening in our industry period yeah it's 8.6 people in manhattan and that's not a lot of people to cover it but 8.6 8.6 yeah yeah I just read that this morning. What I don't understand that stat. Eight point six million. Oh, people. I thought you meant like eight point six people. And no, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. It's not no, that. Yeah, no, a little bigger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the other question we wanted to ask you off jump was: Can you tell us exactly how to play Uno? Uh, All the rules. I totally can tell you how to play Uno. This this Uno controversy. <laughs> Has been something, all right? <laughs> you know, for those who don't know the backstory, my colleague at the Undefeated, Justin Tinsley. Shout most, out to Justin. Shout yeah. out to you, Justin. The most controversial <laughs> thing that happened at the ESPYs was this Uno game <laughs> that we played, uh, I believe it was the day before the ESPYs. And here's another thing, you know, from a cultural perspective, black people in cards, it's going to be some drama, <laughs> especially when it's Uno. <laughs> and he did some old... I don't know, Northeast move that he learned in Hampton, when he went to Hampton, some Hampton move where- well, he stacked out, right? He sta But see, we don't do that. Yeah. I'm from Detroit, we don't do that. I'm like, that'll get you killed somewhere, for real. Like, At the ESPYs, yeah. Right, I was just like, do I have to choke my colleague out in front of all these people because he stacked on me, which is uh, something we don't do. Uh, not not where I'm from, I'd like never seen that. I mean, mm -hmm. I know about stacking when you have, like when it's two people, mm -hmm. and you're like, draw, draw four, skips, reverse, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, I understand that. <laughs> They're all usually the same color. Mm-hmm. But to have different colors and the same numbers and be able to lay that down, like, am I am I on the outside of this? Have you had you guys well, heard of that? Well, we are ready to yell on you for the next like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, numbers no, are wrong. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. like, how does it fall in terms of like the reaction online? Is it one way or the other? Oh, right. It, it has been divisive. Yeah, this is a polarizing topic. So it's real close to 50-50. It is. Okay. Um, well, actually, no. You know what? And I'm not just saying this because <laughs> Justin is not here to defend himself, but, but it but is kinda, 70 yeah. 30 on my side. Mm. Now, I, I that do. That sounds like a real number, not like 8.6. <laughs> 8.6. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do wonder if part of this is a little bit generational, too. I mean, mm. I'm, I'm slightly older than Justin, and so we just did not play that way. That's not the way I grew up. In playing. 2018, mm. rules don't matter anymore. Okay. Let's yeah. just all well, agree. And, yeah. and as he told us, that was his defense. He was like, <laughs> I, I looked in the, in the Uno rules, which, let's be honest, none of us have really read. But this yeah. forced me to look at them, and, and, and I was like, Justin, this rule is in there. He was like, rules don't matter. I was like, they have to matter. Okay, at some point they have to matter. But um, a lot of people, I guess, apparently had been accustomed to stacking. And it sounds like you guys... I mean, we're familiar. I don't know yeah. if, I'm, if I'm on his side. We live in a spades world now, so yeah. really... Yeah. See, that's, yeah. that's another one. Yeah. Now, with spades, though, you expect there to be some different rules per household. Right. Like some people go Joker, Joker 8. Some people go Joker, Joker Deuce. Some people go Deuce as wild. Like, so you already know to come there and establish the rules beforehand. But for Justin to just throw that out, like that's <laughs> universal Uno law in the kingdom <laughs> kingdom of Uno. Is he, he fired? <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> I, honestly, it, it's taken me a lot not to report him to HR. Yeah, yeah sure. Because yeah. I feel like he created a hostile work environment with his stupid Uno rules. That is, that is for sure. What if HR came back to you and were like, there's no more rules? <laughs> It doesn't matter. No, but I mean, again, like uh, several of my colleagues noticed I was not the only one shouting him down in that video. (laughs) It was all of us. It was five of us playing and four of us were like, dude, you're this can't be right. How does Jon Stewart feel about this? That's a good question. He unfortunately, after shaming himself, I guess (laughs) apparently on Papa Shot. He was no longer in the room and was thus disinvited to the oh, lounge. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was just us sitting there arguing over Uno. And what made it hilarious <laughs> is that that was the first game. It'd be one thing if we had like five or six games, warmed up, you know, got into it, got more comfortable. Game one, I was like, see, this is about to be some nonsense. <laughs> nonsense. So yeah. it was it was certainly a moment to remember at the ESPYs. Um, on JamelHill.com. Which I don't know if you've like updated in about mm, a cool decade. Yes, I was like, yeah. wait, there it exists. Yeah. It exists, yeah. and okay. it, it uh, is apparently from your point of view. Is it the Uno yeah, rules? No, not oh. the Uno. Rules. Oh, okay. I was I like, wait, what? No, but there is a section called controversies. Really? And this should be up there. Do you own JamelHill.com? I do not, oh. which is probably bad, right? Yeah, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, do you have to get like the real JamelHill.com? <laughs> yeah, Jamel Hill one. Now I have to change it. Jamel no. underscore Hill. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's the same thing with the Wikipedia page. Anything that's in there, I'm not responsible for. And it was years later that I realized I even had one. What is the weirdest thing you found on your Wikipedia page? Um, that I'm married to Michael Smith. Oh. Congratulations! Oh, so appreciate yeah. it. it. It is not true. <laughs> no, it is not true. Um, I've never been married. Yeah, I yeah. don't have any children because um, that. It, it just is funny like when you're when you become i guess someone of note or i i really hate to use the word famous but for purposes of this conversation i'll say famous Mm -hmm. but it but the things that you hear about yourself are sometimes bordering on such an absurd level Mm -hmm. that it's got to be you know funny i remember my um a, a woman who braids my hair she has uh she has a a, a friend kind of like a boyfriend type that's in prison mm-hmm. and um and you I know you're like where the hell is this story going <laughs> so i was talking to him on the phone because yes he does have phone privileges mm-hmm. he called you 
No, he okay. was talking to her, okay. and he knows that she braids my hair. And so, you know, as I have noted from my, uh, you know, from the mail I received, I do quite well in the prison population. Like, mm-hmm. I got a lot of prison boyfriends, mm-hmm. and these are the best. A lot of Don Diva subscriptions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, these are the best relationships ever because <laughs> I never see them. They never see me, and yet they're extremely loyal to me. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So he was saying. Have you gotten drawings on the outside of the envelope? No, no oh, drawings, right. but I have gotten pictures. Oh. Um, and t- Tasteful. My favorite was the the guy in prison who sent me a photo of himself doing yoga because oh. he was watching the show and I said I was into yoga. So he wanted he wanted us to make sure that we had common interests. Yeah. Right. So I thought that was really sweet. Yeah. That's really nice. Um, so anyway, um, my girl's, uh, you know, man friend, yeah. if you will. Mm-hmm. He he was like, you know, he was like, clear something up for us because <laughs> we were because uh, some of my homies in here were going to be uh, very disappointed. But I heard you have like two kids and you're married. And this, and I was like, wait a minute. So, in prison, <laughs> you all like, what's the source of information? You clearly can watch the television. Right. Do you have access to computers? Do you have, like, I, where are you getting this information from? Also, and that so is disappointing that you might have a child that, like, you know, is yours and you love. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> a little weird. Well, they, uh, many of them felt like they still had a chance to shoot their shot. There you go. So, this was disappointing to hear that, you know, probably the kids weren't a big deal, but mm-hmm. like the husband with the two and the kids. Oh, sure, right. sure. Then they're thinking like that probably decreases the ability of us to be together. And it's right, not and distance, not walls. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but being married and having children. Right. So, but that there, is, but there's that, some respect to the code. Exactly. Yeah. Where are you originally from? I'm originally from Detroit. Okay. And uh, and as I tell people, the real hood, not the rap hood. So did you go to Cranbrook? I did not. <laughs> I love that he picked the richest high school <laughs> in the Detroit metro area. Shout out to you for knowing that. Well, I uh, only know from 8 Mile. <laughs> I know from 8 Mile, of course. Clarence went there. Do you know Clarence? Clarence? Uh, I don't know Clarence. Um, I are you don't... married to him on Wikipedia? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know Eminem either. Okay, all right. Uh, Aretha Franklin, no, don't okay. know her as well. Um, Have you been to Motown? I've been to Motown Museum, okay. Hitsville, many times. All right. uh, so I'm quite familiar with the Good. legacy in my city. Commercial oh. Park, like <laughs> Comerica. Oh, Comerica. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> on Wikipedia. It's just like, yeah. yeah. Um, Aaliyah grew up in Detroit. Yes, hey. and um, I actually interviewed Aaliyah when I was an intern at the Detroit Free Press. Really? really? Yeah. And the timing of that was really interesting because it was right. At, right after the news broke that she was married to R. Kelly. Yeah. So I had to ask her. On Wikipedia. Her, <laughs> of, of course, not in real life. Yeah. Because everything happens on Wikipedia. Yeah. So I had to, to ask her, was she married to R. Kelly, which she denied. However, perhaps the question should have been, in hindsight, were you ever married to R. Kelly? There you go. Because that's a slightly different question. Did she come with her parents or the Hankersons? Um, no, She. this was a phone interview. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so it wasn't done in person. And um, I don't remember what project she had coming out, but she sort of laughed when I asked the question. <laughs> She's like, no, I'm not. And I look... I. I think by now we all know the truth of that story. Yeah. But uh, it just, I always, you know, kind of reflect on that when I think of when, you know, people in Detroit discuss Aaliyah often and mm-hmm. she's referred to even now. And even today, R. Kelly being in the news. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. crazy. Have yeah. you listened to it? No. <laughs> it's so long. Oh, I, I didn't listen I, to I, it. I didn't listen to it. I just know it's there. But yeah. I was just But like, 19 minutes? I was like, I don't need to hear his side for 19 minutes. No, it, well, it's not even about his side. Like, seriously, what song would you listen to for 19 minutes? Oh, I mean. Like have, 19 minutes? No. Have no. you listened to Trapped in the Closet? <laughs> okay, because that's like an experience. That's that's totally have you, different. That's have that you, you watched it? That's something oh, that you that's, lived through. That, that, Guess who owns it on DVD? Jeff does. I sure do. Yeah. I got it sent to me for free because I was writing for a newspaper and I realized the the way to finesse you know yeah. free products is yeah. just, oh, this is in college. Totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got a Furby for free. Are you yeah. kidding? Yeah. Like, come on, <laughs> well, big wins. Look. 
we know that R. Kelly is a slime ball, but yep. just mm-hmm. a timeout from his slime ballness and him being a general creep and a predator. Mm-hmm. Trapped in the closet is one of the greatest videos ever made. <laughs> it's one of the greatest. Yeah, you're just racking up uh, controversy. No, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like it is because it, it's preposterous. It's right. like you you think like somebody sat down and it was it it was at the time when it came out 26 episodes. Something like that. Yeah, yes, it yeah. was 26. I, I did not realize that he kept going. <laughs> yeah. Until other people alerted me of this. It's like on episode 82 and yeah, I'm like yeah. oh my god he never stopped and I thought it stopped after he did uh, what was my man the little character oh yeah he, the, uh, um, he jumps out of the yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember his name it's Yo, like escaping the beat me. never changes it's like just nothing like, same yeah, beat yeah. and it's just Rip. like this story yeah. is non-stop how much drama can happen to one person do you think in his head he was just like I'm gonna change the entire music game like uh, I'm just doing something that no one has ever done yeah, I yeah. think he was probably thinking that. I mean, because if you, on the, on the face of it, and mm. again, I reiterate to the people listening, we all know R. Kelly's a dirtbag. Mm-hmm. Nobody is defending him. Right. But Jamel is a big fan. We got yeah. it. I yeah. did not say that. I, look, I, I, We're just talking about the art. You know, I canceled R. Kelly a long time yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm sure when he sat down, if you think about it, like a, a hip-hop soap opera, mm-hmm. that doesn't actually sound so bad. Like a right. hip-hop R&B soap opera kind totally. of thing. Totally. It doesn't sound bad. And then when you see the product... Again, the product was not bad. It was just mind blowing <laughs> at the time that somebody actually did this. Yes. Uh, <laughs> would you say that you like this better than Carmen? Oh, the hip hopper. Oh, the yeah. hip hopper. <laughs> You're going to judge me if I say R. Kelly. You're going to judge me. But that's really what I want to say. Is I don't think I've ever the- seen Carmen. Uh, I, I, I saw, saw bits it. and pieces yeah, yeah, of yeah. it. Yeah, and obviously I wasn't invested enough in right. it. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like the worst person in the world because you have made me pick versus that versus Trevor. <laughs> this versus is, this is just going to go on your Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I what was growing up that. in Detroit like? Growing up in Detroit, you know, the thing is, and, and I don't know how often you guys meet people from Detroit, mm-hmm. but, you know, we have a certain chip on our shoulder because, mm-hmm. you know, people constantly degrade our city and we're always the the butt of the joke the only time when i was growing up when i saw detroit on tv uh or national tv that is is it was for something terrible you know we had devil's night that was a a awful tradition that we had for a while where you know the day of halloween we just set fire to things and set fire to a whole city so be it devil's night um shootings murder rate like those were the only times uh, Detroit made the news until Eminem. Mm-hmm. Then we were like, "Oh, hey, we got something here." Right, right. <laughs> the Pistons and the, oh, yes, when we won and titles, the, the Red Wings did all right. Yes, yeah. And yeah. the Red yeah. Wings became an institution as well. So it was either sports or something terrible is happening in the city. With all that being said, I mean, uh, granted, I, it wasn't my choice to live there because I mean I couldn't help where I was born sure, or yeah. the fact that my mother was from there. But you know, I just wouldn't pick another place to be from. Um, you know, the the grit of the people there, the toughness. Um, you know, the drive, it, it is a very unique city. I mean, it was um, probably 80, 85% black when I was growing up. We're going through a gentrification process right now that's a little unnerving, but it's positive and unnerving at the same time as it is in most places, which, you you know, New Yorkers are familiar with in terms of Harlem. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I just think that there is just a certain vibe to Detroit that's much different than some of the similar larger cities than a Chicago, than a New York, than a LA. We know we're never going to be the cool city. We know that we're not going to be the, the, like if we were looking at this from a party analogy standpoint, like you might not pick us as the first party to go into, but if you come into our party, you're going to have a hell of a time. Listen, you're not Cleveland. 
right? <laughs> See, that was wrong. No, I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> but Clevelanders don't shade at us, like especially when they had LeBron. They, they really were thinking they were better than us. For sure, we might have been better at basketball right, than us, right. but don't don't try to get sedity with us. <laughs> all right, uh, it's a company town. Did you have any attachment to any of the major automakers? Well, uh, a lot of my family uh, worked for the automakers, and even now it's kind of bizarre when I go back there because everybody in Detroit, for the most part owns a American-made vehicle. And you go other places and you see, you know, Hondas and everything else, but not there. And uh, people will definitely uh, talk down to you and they will criticize you. And uh, even at the auto companies, if you don't own, if you work for, say, Ford, Mm -hmm. and you don't own a Ford, (laughs) then you have to park in a different parking lot. You can't park at the closest one. They make you park somewhere else. So, we, you know, we take that very, very seriously. But it's, it's also interesting being from there in the sense that... As I move to other cities that are less car dependent, it's always a hard adjustment. Like I I live in D.C. now and I own own a car. I don't actually need a car in D.C., but it would feel weird for me not to own a car and be able to get in and drive. And even here in New York, like I have an aversion to the subway because Mm -hmm. I just don't like that many people just around me crowded in one place. I'm not claustrophobic or anything, but Mm -hmm. when I'm traveling somewhere, I'm used to like the car providing you some kind of sanctity. All right. But. Obviously, that doesn't happen. Yeah, here, you, you don't know? want to buy candy for the low. You don't want to get like DVDs, <laughs> right? Well, I, I, I mean, I do just own. not 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 in the subway. I guess yeah. you could say I don't want to also smell urine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I mean, you don't want to experience Showtime. No, I don't. Come by your head. Too no. many of yeah. my friends have I told sell me you too many trapped in the closet story. DVD yeah. on the train. Yeah. On the train, yes, which I could not buy because we have canceled R. Kelly. Everybody. So your mom was cleaning houses. You would tag along with her, right? Um, this is all stuff I learned from your TED talk, so it's not like I. No, no, no! Yeah. You didn't. You didn't just unveil that yeah. secret out of nowhere. Like you had some spies following me since yeah. I was three. And yeah, you know, right, 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 right. Tell me about. Um you know how that got you into the the print game um so you know back in back in the olden days kids uh we used to have to read the newspapers to keep up with our sports teams and so this is before everyone pivoted to video <laughs> yeah. yes right. this, is, this yeah. is correct mm-hmm. so i was a big tigers fan baseball was actually my first love and we couldn't really afford a newspaper subscription my mother used to clean houses and she cleaned houses uh for this old man named mr miller who had a subscription to both the detroit news and the Detroit Free Press, so I would read his sports sections. And um, over time, as she continued to, to clean his house and, and even befriend him, uh, he and I would watch Tigers games uh, a lot. And so um, he knew I was really into sports. Uh, it was a place where I could read about sports, and so that's where my love of newspapers developed by, is by reading them and, and being curious about how stories are put together and, and coverage and all these other things. And once I got to high school, and started working for my high school newspaper, which was actually produced at the Free Press, as all high school newspapers were in Whoa. Detroit at the time. So once a month, you had to go to the Free Press to produce your newspaper because they uh, they had an insert of all the high school newspapers from all the high schools in Detroit that people got once a month, and you could very quickly find out what was going on at Cooley High or Mumford, where I went, or Redford or wherever. And uh, so the first time I went to into a newsroom, I was hooked. It was like love at first sight, and I knew that. I wanted to be um, not just a newspaper writer. I knew specifically I wanted to be a sports writer. So as a result, everything I did was was set up in mind for me to learn all about the newspaper business. So uh, I went from 
going down there as a high school student, you know, to produce my high school newspaper to applying for a minority journalism program that the Free Press had. Uh, where they would they took about you know twelve to fourteen students from the Detroit area, and it, it was a six week apprenticeship uh, at the paper. And so you were assigned to mentors. You learned how to put together a story. Uh, you were edited. You know they gave us exercises where he had to go out and report on something and bring it back and have it edited. So you learned about uh, the whole process. And so uh, I did that. Um, the summer after my 11th grade year. And it was, you know, it was really life-changing because also that summer when I did that six-week internship or apprenticeship, the National Association of Black Journalists Convention was in Detroit. And the director of the apprenticeship program made us go and uh, become members of NABJ. So I joined when I was 16 years wow. old. Did you and, have to pay? Uh, yeah, I did have to pay. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And we were getting paid on that um, apprenticeship. Wow. Um, 10 bucks an hour. That's awesome. Can you believe it? No. Yeah. It was unbelievable. I can tell you what I did with yeah. that money. Probably <laughs> nothing very good or productive. It's not like I started a bank account or anything like that. But We made $200 a summer at a day camp. So you were, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then when you did that, you thought you were balling. Oh, like, yeah. oh, man. Killing it, yeah. Yeah, I was like, I can live off this $200 for the rest of my life, you know? And I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very wise investment. Yeah. <laughs> so um, getting that early introduction and spinning that into an NABJ membership uh, and then, you know, my junior and senior year in high school on Thursday and Friday nights, I answered phones in the Free Press Sports Department. Did any of your peers do anything similar to this? No, they didn't. Um, and it, it did make me feel weird that uh, I was investing in at such a young age in, you know, ultimately what would become my profession. I didn't get made fun of or anything like that. All my friends worked. But it's just, you know, it was typical high school jobs you would have. Like, uh, you know, like my girl worked at uh, Church's Chicken, which was awesome because we used yep. to get the hookup. Yeah. yeah. And especially on the fried pies. Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> so all my friends worked at, and, and well, actually, she had two great jobs. She worked at Church's Chicken and Foot Locker. So we had oh. the hookup. Yeah. <laughs> Chicken and gym shoes? Come on now. Yeah, yeah. what could you provide with your job? <laughs> See, and that's where it was really unfair because I could say, I can give you this free newspaper. Like, right. that's about <laughs> all I had for you. Like, I can bring you a copy. It like, is the free press. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was like, if you you want to hook up on on the Sunday coupons, I mean, I can bring those home. You know, that's about it. So I definitely had the lamest job out of all my friends, but it was the one that obviously set me on the course that uh, that I you know am still on today. So when it came to college, were you looking anywhere else besides Michigan State? I was. Okay. Um, I wanted to go to Michigan. The plan okay. was for me and my best friend from high school to both go to Michigan. As I like to remind Michigan fans, I got into Michigan. Mm. All right. For the record. Okay. Yeah, for yeah. the record, all Update right? that Wikipedia. That's right. <laughs> Got into Michigan. So me going to Michigan State is not as they often accuse us of, of being a result of not being able to get into Michigan. Mm -hmm. But I suppose that's fair game because we often call them Walmart Wolverines because <laughs> most of the Michigan fans never even went to Michigan. But Now, I in digress. case you got into Michigan, you would not have that same viewpoint. <laughs> yeah, You'd right, be like, exactly. what's the quickest way to get a Michigan State you know, alum off your porch? Yeah, 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 yeah. Pay yes. them for the pizza. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you all have a common enemy, which is like anyone else in the Big Ten. Right? So. No, we do not have oh. any common enemies. Look, you, you don't got, hate Ohio State? No. Excuse me, the Ohio oh, State. The, yeah, 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 no, yeah. the Ohio State and Michigan <laughs> State hate Michigan. Oh, yeah. All right? Because they're our number one rival. So, right. no, I mean, I, I, I've often told people, and I, it's definitely true, if the choice was the fate of the world versus rooting for <laughs> Michigan, mm -hmm. I tell all of you, we had a good run. Okay. <laughs> so... It's just that deep. But at the time when I was in high school and making the decision uh, to go to college, I had four colleges kind of on my list. It was Michigan, 
uh, Florida A&M, Clark Atlanta, and um, Michigan State. Mm -hmm. Michigan State was actually a late ad because, um, you know, I I wanted to go to Michigan so I can be with, uh, you know, my, my high school best friend. Much like a lot of us during that time talk about things that sort of age badly, you know, the influence of the Cosby show mm-hmm. made me want to look at HBCUs. Yep. Uh, there was, uh, FAMU was starting a new journalism program that was well-funded and uh, everybody, the reputation that, you know, that was going to have was supposed to be great. And Michigan State was not exactly on my radar from the beginning. Uh, the good thing was that a, a ton of people at the Free Press went to Michigan State because it I say this not because I'm biased, but it really was the best journalism program in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, probably us and maybe Central Michigan, honestly. Mm-hmm. And so we had uh, an accredited journalism school. Um, Michigan State also had the largest college daily in the country, the state news, that had won several pacemaker awards for best college daily. So journalistically, that's why I went there, because it was a really good journalism program. Not for the weather. <laughs> not for the weather, <laughs> not for the sports teams. It was for yeah. that, and I got an academic scholarship, so my tuition and uh, books and fees would be paid for, Amazing. for as long as I maintained uh, that healthy 2.0 grade at point average there. Wow. So did you? I did. Oh, yeah. I did. Yeah. I did. I made it. I made it. Yeah. yeah. So um, that part was good. So yeah, I really made an academic decision when I decided to go to Michigan State. The thing was, I was a Michigan fan at Michigan State, which did not vote well there. Did you no. keep that to yourself? Yeah. No, because I was actually foolish enough to sometimes walk around with a Michigan like uh, Michigan apparel on. And I, but here's the thing. Thankfully, <laughs> I grew out of that and attained some real common sense. Yeah. And so over time, I kind of had to fall in love with with Michigan, Sparty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With <laughs> Michigan State as a sports mm-hmm. team. I mean, the journalism program. I mean, the academics. I was sold. The campus, wonderful. But the sports teams themselves, I had to fall in love with over time because they were not very good when I was there. They were sort of average. Mm-hmm. Like the Independence Bowl was a come up for us well. when that when that existed. The Sun Bowl it was like, oh man, we won six games this yeah. year. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I was there for four years. We beat Michigan once. Oh. Right. Um, our basketball in team. What ping pong? And <laughs> actual football. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, and our basketball team was a little better, but you know, still came with its own sort of devastation because uh i think it was my junior year um they were the number two seed had a great year beat michigan you know and uh got put out by 15 seeded uh weber state a guy named harold archambault who that day was steph curry and it was (laughs) he shot us right out the gym at 38 on us and i hate that i still remember that but that's how devastating it was yeah you know for the whole campus um and you know i guess because life comes full circle a couple years ago we got put out by middle tennessee state Mm -hmm. another 15 seeds yeah Yeah. But it do you look better in yellow or in green? <laughs> I look better in green. And I'm not just saying that because yeah, yeah. I have reason to. But you know, the, the maize and blue, it just, it doesn't go with everything. Mm. Like green and white is like a perfect color that matches pretty much everything. Plus, I got like Adidas are uh, my favorite shoes, uh, specifically top tens. And so they have like some green and white top tens. So mm. I, I coordinate very nicely <laughs> when I go back for homecoming. Um, when was the first time you felt like you were being red? Uh wow, probably the first piece that I ever had published in the free press because um, at the time they had a Sunday magazine, and for most newspapers the Sunday magazine to even make it was a really big accomplishment, and I wrote a column about a kid in my school. It was a white kid, and he was the only white kid in my high school, and I saw him subjected to such abuse. It was, you know, it was crazy, and you know, kids are cruel. We know this, but. 
it was um, it was often very degrading the bullying that he had to go through and he was a nice kid and so I wrote about him and um, a lot of people responded to that to that piece and so uh, it was an incredible thrill for me to be published and to be published in that particular you know publication um, to have that Sunday status and it was like wow so this is what it feels like for people to read you and respond and it it very quickly taught me kind of the power of journalism and the power of the written word how high up the ladder did you get uh in high school at the school paper uh you know i was never like editor of the whole well you know what i was an editor i take that back um but i was never editor of the whole paper from mm-hmm. what i recall i think i was sports editor mm-hmm. which makes sense right yeah um and because i'm totally unbiased and professional wrote a glowing article about my own softball team they didn't have anybody else to do it I, I volunteered I know this is shocking <laughs> and then because I was sports editor guess it was a decision of yeah. let me run this by myself yeah. all yeah. right yes how many words yes fine okay yeah, yeah. yes no make it 1200 yeah. words how about that let's get the entire history of uh, Mumford's softball program so to go from to go from sports editor then you're a freshman in college what are you what kind of pieces are you doing um so I usually people get through the state news or get to the state news by being interns first. Um, But it just so happened, like something went down where they lost a sports writer the first semester I was there. So they put out an ad saying they needed a sports writer. So I, I applied, got the job. I was lucky because I already had published pieces in a professional paper. And my first beat was women's volleyball. And I think I covered a combination. It was women's volleyball, uh, men's wrestling and men's soccer. Mm. So I did for two semesters. I did all non-revenue sports, and much like happens at any college paper, you know, I rose through the ranks, uh, covered you know news. I covered the uh, athletic department, campus editor, managing editor, uh, but probably the best job may have been being secretary because the secretary made more than anybody at the paper but the editor-in-chief. <laughs> so, really? I know it's crazy, but the secretary made more money. I'm not sure why that is, but, and I was the most trifling secretary ever. Like, I, I would be, I would be on the phone most of the time. Nobody got their calls. If I showed up on time, it would be the first time, right? And I often would call in like 15 minutes before I was supposed to be there. So I was by far the worst secretary they've ever had. But you were paid like the best secretary. Uh, but exactly, right? that's yeah. the thing. That's a, The money did not reflect my actual job performance, thank God. We just want to take one second to interrupt this podcast with Jamel Hill to tell you that if you missed out on this weekend's live podcast down in Brooklyn at the Fool's Gold store, we have a chance for you to be able to listen to it. Yes, we have a book on sale on Amazon.com. Search for Rhyme Book Rosenthal because maybe other rhyme books might show up. But search, Search for Rhyme Book Rosenthal and our book will show up and if you buy that, if and you if, pre-order it right now, if you send us the receipt to jeffatitsthereal.com or ericatitsthereal.com, we will send you a private link to the live podcast. Yeah. It was a half-year wrap-up. We talked about the first seven months, or thereabouts, of 2018 with our friends Phil Chang and Jinx from Complex. And it's a really fun discussion. It's great. We talked about so many hilarious things, so many really deep things, and a lot of trends that we think are going to happen as we go throughout the rest of the year. So if you want to hear that podcast, if you were not part of the great live audience that was there in person, or even if you were, even if you were and you want to hear it again, yeah, we will send you the private link if you send us a receipt of the pre-sale buy at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Or maybe you send us a really good Photoshop mock-up of one... <laughs> 
If you do a good enough job. Yeah. If it fools us, then yes. Then yes. <laughs> or you can go to itsthereal.com. That's probably the easier way to get it. Yeah, why not? Okay. Rhyme book, pre-order it right now. Support It's The Real. We want to support you guys. And now, back to Jamel Hill. What kind of internships did you do while you were at school? I thought I was going to be the perennial intern um, mm -hmm. because I did five internships. Uh, I did the Lima News in Lima, Ohio. I covered cops, which was a lot of fun. Uh, also depressing as well. TV show? show? Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, many nights it was like cops <laughs> the TV yeah. show. Which you, you were doing like ride-alongs and stuff? I did do some ride-alongs because um, it was also the summer that O.J. Simpson was accused of murder. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of emphasis on breaking down the issue of domestic violence. And so to get a feel for how terrifying domestic violence calls can be for cops, I rode along with several of them and did this huge enterprise piece that summer on domestic violence. Went to uh, spend a lot of time at a, a battered women's shelter. I mean, that was in terms of you know, really cutting my teeth as a reporter, like that summer was incredible. And that's the beauty sometimes when you're at a small paper is like they will let you do everything. So my first internship was in Lima. The next year I interned at the Free Press. And while I was interning, they they had the, the reporters and editors went on strike. And so I was a month and a half into my internship. They didn't want anybody or any interns to be foolish enough to cross the picket line because mm -hmm. you immediately had to join the union as soon as you started working there. Mm -hmm. And because uh, we were hearing all these rumors that they were offering twice the pay if you crossed the line. And, you know, I mean, you're, you're you were about your paper. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. You're exactly. Yeah. You're like 19, 20 years old. You're like, I mean, I know I might be outcast and never accepted back in any union right. ever in the history right. of my life. Right. But you sure. come from a union town too, exactly. by the way. You come yeah. from, and like all my family is in is is in a union. And yes, sure, I could have possibly been you know completely ostracized there, but. Getting an extra $500 a week sure does sound nice, but right. uh, no, I, I, right. I wasn't going to cross the line. But what they did do was that they sent uh, a bunch of us, or all the entire intern class, they sent us to different papers within the chain, because wow. at the time it was owned by Knight Ritter. So the paper I got uh, to assigned to was the Philadelphia Inquirer. So I actually got to do two internships in one summer. And you lived in Philly? I lived in Philly. How was that? That was phenomenal yeah. um and they I, pay for housing and everything no they didn't pay okay, for housing okay. but uh, one of my uh good friends from from the state news from the college paper she was working in philadelphia full-time so i crashed with her That's for awesome. that month and a half and i had an amazing time in philly it was a great city um did ride the subways there yeah uh, -huh. uh it was also i think uh, the boys to men's uh two album was out it's wow. a great so time. Yeah. That was a, a great time. You know, everything was sort of coming together. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, Motown Philly was back again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a combination. I'm from Motown. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like, it was destined. It was yeah, meant yeah. to be. Yeah. So uh, the next summer after that, uh, I interned. I had finally had my first sports internship, and that was at the Plain Dealer in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. So I lived in Cleveland for four months. Yeah, and that's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and participate in this hatred of Cleveland. No, our, our brother, our brother worked yeah. for the Cavaliers. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so it's cool. We're actually All going right. to Cleveland in two days. All so right. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. hopefully they won't hear any of this. It, no, <laughs> this, right. this comes out of oh, yeah. All right. So you're good. So <laughs> when you were there, had the Browns moved? Uh, no, no. They hadn't moved out of the city yet. And that summer, the, the Indians, I mean, they were the, oh, they yeah. were the, the best team in yeah. Cleveland. Uh, the team with Omar Vizquel and Franco yep, Harris. Carlos Baerga. Carlos Baerga. Jim, Jim Tomey. Tomey. Yeah. yeah. So that was a team. That also was the summer I realized I would never want to cover baseball because... It's so long. <laughs> it wasn't the game. And I, again, baseball was my first love. Yeah. Albert Bell was also on that team. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that was a miserable team to cover mm -hmm. with 
the you could not tell by their behavior, their attitude, that this was a team that actually won 90 games, that they were, you know, on the verge of going to the World Series and, you know, one of the most dominant teams in the league because they were just miserable to cover. Like, Kenny Lofton was a jerk. Albert right. Bell was a jerk. I mean, it was very few players that made covering them, you know, even remotely interesting. Yeah. Um, and I was like, man, if baseball players all act like this, I was like, I'm good, you know. And I actually, it was funny, I spent more time covering um, their minor league team in Canton. And there was a young phenom there named Bartolo Colon. Yeah. And uh, Bartolo, he was great. I mean, the cover of the minor league team was awesome. When you saw him, you're like, he'll play forever. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I never guessed he would. Well, put it like this. It doesn't surprise me that he's experienced, you know, this level of success in Major League Baseball because he was a hell of a pitcher. Mm-hmm. I just didn't anticipate he'd do it at this weight. Yeah. That's yeah, all. Yeah. Like, I was like, <laughs> Didn't expect that. Didn't see that coming. Um, but no, it, it was a it was a lot of fun living in Cleveland and you know getting to know a, a different sports landscape. And uh, it was that it was the highest paid internship I've had wow. too. Like they paid some money at that one. I was like, wow. Again, but was it more or less than a secretary? Uh, it was actually more, not by a lot. No, no but it was it was great. And you got paid every week. Oh, so yeah, every yeah. Wednesday was like, what? Wednesday? Bottles at the yeah, club. Yeah. Yeah. What? Um, You're the only person there on a club right. on a Wednesday. <laughs> right, exactly. So these these are all like historically great papers. Did you did you get that while you were there? Um, the yeah. Inquirer, the Plain Dealer. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I mean, the Inquirer was a, a paper that I I read from afar um, for a long time. Uh, the the Plain Dealer they had a, a great you know reputation. They were one of the you know. 10 biggest papers in the country uh, for sure and you know they had all you know basically all the major sports so you knew that in terms of a sports town that that was thriving um but you know probably I mean you might what wound up being my most important internship was the one I had the next summer when I was at the News and Observer in Raleigh because that's Mm. the paper that hired me first right and I went there for that specific reason like they had a reputation for hiring interns for believing in young writers and uh yeah so you know i was there three and a half months they extended my internship and then eventually after i got another offer from another paper they offered me a job so most of your family still lives in detroit Yep. okay for you to go out of town and then way away (laughs) was that a big deal uh not really i mean of course my mother has some trepidation about it and but I think she was just happy that, one, I was getting internships, so I was obviously making progress mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in my career. And in fact, when I moved to Raleigh, she drove down there with me. Oh. And uh, uh, it was that at the time where I you know, didn't have a CD player, so listen <laughs> to that cassette yeah. all the way down. A, a Boys to Men 2? Yeah. No, it wasn't the Boys <laughs> to Men 2. Or I should say, I, I had a CD player, but I had not yet advanced to the point where I could actually put it in my car, mm-hmm. right? So I wasn't, I wasn't balling like that, right? right? yeah. And uh, but I had like five cassettes that we listened to for about a good twelve hours. Yeah, so yeah, that was fun. Um, but no, I mean, I think because I was making progress, as she saw my determination and drive, that that put her fears at ease. And um, you know, I had been living on my own at that point for a while. I mean, mm-hmm. I, when I left home in high school, I didn't go back. You know, and so this was sort of, uh, she knew my passion level for it. She knew this is what I felt like I was destined to do. So she definitely supported me. What's Raleigh like? Raleigh is great. And especially to live there at that time, early 20s, so many colleges, so many black colleges. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the first time I, it, that was the first time I'd been to a black college football game, North Carolina Central versus um, A&T. Mm. 
And you're living right there with Duke, North Carolina, North Carolina State. Oh, it was a, a lot of young people mm-hmm. in the area. I mean, I lived probably five minutes from NC State's campus. Um, so I, I had a, a blast. The area was just exploding. Um, and the job itself as a general assignment sports reporter, what I loved about it is that I got to do a bunch of different things. I mean, I covered ACC basketball, football, uh, sitting through Duke football. That's when you really know <laughs> yeah. you love, how yeah. much you love the job. You're yeah. like, wow. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great time for women's sports in that area. And they wanted me to focus a lot on that because you had the North Carolina women's soccer team at the time. They had won 14 straight national championships. They were, you know, essentially the the core foundation of of the u.s women's uh national soccer team mm-hmm. a lot of the players there mia ham having gone uh to north carolina so i kind of got to see that 99 dream team uh that came about sort of be formed yeah. you know because they had a friendly uh that they played in north carolina that i covered and that was great um and so yeah i mean it, it was just being able to cut my teeth in, in a lot of different areas and, um, you know, the the biggest reason I left, because uh, my next job after that was returning to the free press uh, to cover my alma mater uh, for six years. It wasn't because I was ready to come back home. It wasn't because I was homesick. It was just because having been a generalist, I felt like I probably needed the experience of covering a beat and a team and breaking news every single day. Mm. That was it. At a certain point, you do leave the quote unquote journalism game and you become a columnist. Mm hmm. And so, talk about. I'm still a journalist, but just a columnist, you know. Yeah, but, but I'm saying like, but, but it's a, it's a different thing to include your own voice mm-hmm. in it in that way. And so, like, talk about um, leaving one for the other. To be um, completely candid, not that I haven't been, but I became a columnist for the money. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't do it because I had some driving passion to give my opinion. It turned out I happened to be good at it uh, you know after being terrible at it probably the first six to eight months but when I made the jump I mean the original jump to that started when I left Detroit and went to Orlando and when I looked around the sports landscape uh, because the job I really wanted to do my dream job was to work at Sports Illustrated and because you know that was the sports magazine of record yeah. growing yeah. up every yeah. you know everybody collected them and that was it I wanted to be Gary Smith mm. and um when I looked at newspapers, a lot of them were eliminating those uh, enterprise jobs, long-form writing jobs. They were eliminating those jobs because the downturn was just starting. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you had a crazy show called Around the Horn starting, Mm -hmm. and you saw those were all columnists. Who had all the book deals? Columnists. Who had all the radio uh, shows? Columnists. And I was like, well, I know one thing. These columnists certainly aren't going anywhere, and they tend to be among the highest paid in the on the writing staff. So when the third columnist job came open in Orlando, at the nudging of some friends of mine who already worked at Orlando, I applied for it. That was at the Sentinel. Yeah, at the Sentinel, and so uh, I was there for almost two years when you know ESPN came calling, and even though ESPN was not on my radar as places I thought I would ever work. Uh, you know, they were the the giant in sports media. And so I certainly wanted that experience of being a columnist at a place of that size with that platform. Mm. Well, follow up question. Why didn't you, why wasn't ESPN on your radar? Um, maybe because I considered it more TV than writing. Dot mm-hmm. uh, com had been around um, certainly for a few years and was starting to establish itself. And like a lot of people, I, I read page two religiously. Mm-hmm. And respected a lot of writers there, but I still mostly looked at it as a television network. Mm-hmm. So it never really occurred to me that 
that would be a place that I should aim for. Right. What was the edit that broke your heart? <laughs> ooh. What was the edit that broke my heart? Like with some anything that yeah, I yeah. ooh. Man. I feel like I have 700 of those stories because most writers, every edit breaks our heart. You know, we could be writing a brief. And if you take out the sins, we act like it's the most important sentence in the history of man. Um, I think most of the things that usually would bother me, because uh, I don't know. I don't know if you guys know this, but I have a reputation for being a little edgy. Most of the things that would. Go to JamelHill.com. Yeah. <laughs> or my Wikipedia page, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of the things that would bother me would be. Things edited out because they were considered, you know, too risky or too edgy or there was some philosophical reason why it shouldn't be in there. So like an Oxford comma. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing, I mean, this, uh, uh, what's so funny is the thing that led me to ESPN was a thing I almost got suspended for in Orlando. And uh, while I was there, I created this series called Writing With. And um, this also was the first time I ever made Deadspin for a positive reason. <laughs> All right? Everybody makes Deadspin, it ain't always positive. So uh, I had my, the series was very simple. It was getting in the car with an athlete, riding around, asking him questions. Solving crimes. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a better series. Yeah. Where were you then? Yeah, yeah. Could have been like I should have been your editor. Were you yeah. Shaq down there at the time? Because this would be the perfect ride yeah, along. Yeah. Like. No, Shaq was, uh, Shaq was not that there yeah, yeah. at the time. But you're right, that would have been. That would have yeah. been awesome. My, the first athlete I did it with was the, the story that went viral. It was Willis McGahee. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I always feel like athletes, when they're in their own environment, in their own territory, they tend to tell you more and be more open. Mm -hmm. So we're riding around, and I think he's like a, a BMW. I, for, I forget which kind. And uh, I Not knew an American-made car. <laughs> no, because he's not that cool. I was like, where's your Chrysler? So he, How much uh, gas per mile do you get? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're killing the environment <laughs> and our economy all at once. But... I, I knew that, you know, he had a couple kids out of wedlock. And so I asked him, I said, hey, uh, what do you think would be worse, a baby mama or a wife? <laughs> I was just kind of joking around, you yeah, know. Yeah. And he was like, oh, by far, baby mamas are the worst. So he's like going in about how baby mama's always in your pocket and unreasonable and all these other things. By the way, fact. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Now he looks like he was ahead of his time. Right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so... I put all this in in the Q and A. I mean, it was one of the questions, so this goes in the Q and A, and so it publishes. Deadspin picks it up, and they're like, "Listen to Willis McGahee, you know, wax poetic on baby mamas, you know, and it's a thing. Yeah. It's getting a lot of attention." The editor of the paper was livid, <laughs> not because of the question, but because we used the term baby mama, what? which she found to be patently offensive. Mm. And this is when you know, you know, at, at the time, being one of the younger people in the newsroom, I was like, no, no, it's cool. Everybody yeah. uses the word yeah, baby yeah, mama. Yeah, yeah. And she essentially did not believe me and she thought it was tasteless and she thought it was terrible. And she was thinking about suspending me and my editor for this. And that was a column that an ESPN executive noticed of mine. And it just so happened he knew a mutual friend. Wow. And that set up a dinner meeting 
with this executive who's no longer there. Mm-hmm. And uh, fast forward from the time that column ran to maybe four or five months later, I got the job at ESPN. Wow. So baby mama's payoff. Yeah. It paid off for me. Yeah. <laughs> who were some editors that really meant something to you when you were when you were writing oh um the editor i just mentioned that um i was you know we were going to be suspended together in the struggle uh john sherva uh who uh, worked for the la Times. he worked for the sentinel for a while he's in tribune company i think he's still at the la times if i'm not mistaken uh he, he was one of the best editors uh i've ever had um you know at espn.com uh oh my gosh it, I see his face, but I feel terrible because his name literally just escaped me. But I have, in general, worked with a lot of great editors at ESPN.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jenna Genovi, uh, I've worked with her, and she's great. Um, and I'm trying to think. Oh, the editors I have now. I mean, Lisa Wilson, uh, one of the few black female sports editors in the country. Uh, Kevin Merida. Uh, who uh, is the editor in chief of the Undefeated? I, I mean, I'd like to mess with him by telling him I grew up reading him, but I did grow <laughs> up reading him I mean, when I was in college. So yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not like he's that old. Uh, yeah, he is certainly one of um, you know the best editors uh, that I've had a pleasure to work with. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have been really fortunate because at every stop of the way. I mean, even when I was in in Detroit, Owen Wilson, uh, he's re- uh, retired now. He's um, a great actor. The actor, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. one yeah. of us. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry, not Owen Wilson. Oh my God, <laughs> Owen Davis. That is his name. You guys, I feel like you tricked me into that. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Owen Davis, who is one of the the best editors I worked with too, and Gene Myers. So I could go uh, certainly down the list and name at least fifteen people that were. Um, great editors and, awesome. and and help me sharpen my skills as a writer. By the way, it would be a trick if we brought out Owen Wilson yeah. <laughs> and then be like, "Really?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what was the first time walking on that Bristol campus like? Again, I think, uh, and maybe this is why I never experienced any high level of discomfort at ESPN. It was not my dream job Mm -hmm. and and also it took a while for me to actually you know walk on campus after my interview because uh uh, i was you know i could still live in orlando Mm -hmm. um being a dot-com columnist you can live wherever but the my first impression was like my god this place is huge (laughs) i mean i I think we've added probably about three buildings since the first time that I've, i've walked there um and when i walked into our cafeteria which is has a well-deserved reputation for being awesome. I was like, this is the best cafeteria <laughs> I've ever seen. It was enormous. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought uh, the enormity of the place was just, you know, that was really kind of jaw-dropping more so than anything. Mm-hmm. I met with and interviewed with, like, 3,000 people that day, it felt like. And <laughs> I wasn't sure if any of my answers were making sense. And, um, you know, I mean, it just, it, it's amazing how, you know, things kind of, you know, just worked out. Because yeah. uh, the whole reason that they brought me in was that uh, Skip Bayless was leaving his columnist job there to at .com to do cold pizza, which obviously eventually became First Take. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was leaving that, so that left the columnist slot open, uh, which I happily filled. <laughs> what did you wear for your interview? If I had to guess, because <laughs> I can't quite remember, I'm pretty sure that I I wore the only pantsuit that I had because <laughs> I'm that kind of fashionista. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a Wolverines jersey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Positive pantsuit probably came from TJ Maxx. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that I looked like a uh, somebody who had probably once appeared on Murphy Brown. <laughs> If I had to guess. Which, by the way, is coming back. Yes, so, yeah. I, I, I've heard this. Foresight. Look yeah, at yeah. that. I knew it would. 
like this is forever. Um, while you lived in Orlando, how often would you make it to Disney World? Um, people who live in Orlando don't go to Disney. <laughs> no, like, they work there. Did yeah. you work at Disney World? <laughs> I mean, we do. I mean, that is, I have to say, one of the great benefits of working at ESPN, which uh, you know our parent company is Disney, is that we mm-hmm. get Disney passes. Really? Yeah. So we yeah. have a, I have a Disney card. Do you skip the line? Um, no. See, I don't have that. But I do wonder if a VIP card does exist somewhere, and I just am not cool enough to have it. But is Captain EO still around? In uh, <laughs> what? In Michael Epcot? Jackson? Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, in Captain Epcot? EO is okay, not still gone, around. Okay. But Epcot Space is Mountain's still there. Space no. Mountain's still there. Right, Teacup's right. still there. Great. Uh, and by the way, fun fact: Magic Kingdom is the only part of the park you cannot drink alcohol. Wow. And it is true about the cursing thing. I know that. I, I don't know if you ever heard that Dave Chappelle joke when he talked about how he was cursing at at Disney world and he was at magic kingdom and you know that's when it kind of dawned on him <laughs> that you know he was becoming you know super famous because people were rolling up on him and saying i'm rich bitch <laughs> like all the time in front of his kids and yeah. he was like but you can't even cuss here like what are you doing <laughs> uh but they will uh, apparently give you a language warning at magic kingdom because that's where the little little kids go yeah yeah, yeah right yeah. and so um wait did you find that out firsthand no i did not um, yeah. I did not find it out firsthand, but save I, your curses for Animal Kingdom, right? <laughs> which would be probably yeah. the place that you would curse, or if you're uh, on this this death defying ride that's at um, Hollywood Studios, mm. Captain EO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish I would have been going there then. Um, but no, yeah, you get a pass, and you and three of your friends could go and get in for free, and you get some complimentary passes. So they make sure we experience. Um, our share of Disney. I want to go to Euro Disney, though. Let's do it. Yeah. 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 What I mean, are you doing later? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can probably get there, right? Yeah, forget Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. yeah, skip Cleveland. Let's go there. I can, so, And you can even bring a friend because I got one more for the past. Okay. okay. Right. Yeah, our other brother Dan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's great. So ESPN was not your dream job. Television was not where you saw yourself. Nope. But at their heart, ESPN is a television company. It, it is. And I, I think the cool thing that winds up happening there is like organically you find yourself sort of with with in places and spaces that you didn't anticipate because it's so big and we have so many platforms digital television you know um and so with that eventually you're gonna probably wind up further away from the job you may have started there with uh so you know sort of reminds me of the 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 story of our former president uh, george bodenheimer he I think he started in the mailroom, mm-hmm. and I'm sure when he started, I don't know if he envisioned that one day he was going to be president of ESPN, which I think is it speaks to, you know, how much uh, that they value allowing their employees to do different things within the company and to and to grow and to learn. So, I was one of those print people who made fun of TV people. I thought they were the lamest people ever. <laughs> that their job was super easy, and uh, then I became one mm-hmm. um, because they got a super big paycheck <laughs> compared to what print journalists often you, make. You like 50 cented the situation. Yeah. Like 50 cented John Rule. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. So uh, as I was, you know, kind of getting acclimated at, at ESPN, writing opinion columns, you know, when you put your opinion out there, that makes you attractive for producers to put you on opinion shows. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the time, Stephen A. Smith had his show, quite frankly. So I was on that. Then I started to do some more outside the lines. Then I started doing Jim Rome is Burning, uh, uh, Cold Pizza, eventually First Take, Around the Horn. So, you know, next thing I know, I look up, I'm there, you know, three, four years, and TV is half of my job. Mm-hmm. And uh, from that, 
you know, learning the TV business, learning that it is very difficult. <laughs> and uh, I had to take back basically everything I ever said mm-hmm. about TV people mm-hmm. in general. Besides the paycheck, yeah. Yeah, yeah besides yeah, the paycheck. Yeah. That part's true. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, once uh, as I learned more about, uh, you know, doing television, I, you know, it really became something that I generally love to do. How quickly did you get used to having an earpiece? Uh, you know, it, that actually wasn't quite as hard uh, because the thing is when you're appearing on somebody else's show, you don't have the same traffic in your ear. Mm-hmm. Now, the first time I ever had to host, <laughs> that was a different story. And I vividly remember uh, Michael Kim and I, uh, we were hosting um, First Take. And uh, I think I, at one of the hosts, regular hosts, I don't know if it was Dana or Jay, had gotten sick at the last minute. And, you know, rather than call somebody else in with far more television experience than than me from the bullpen, they gave me a shot to host. And I'll never forget when the show started and it's something we call a steady cam, which is the man, you know, Mm -hmm. man with the camera just running up to you or whatever. And so uh, my opening, you know, sort of bit was in there. And there was nothing in the prompter. And I didn't remember anything I was supposed to say. They were like, go. And I was like, so coming up on today on First Take, we have uh, and Michael Kim. And this is why I will forever love this man on mm-hmm. top of him just being a great person. He quickly saw I did not remember what we had coming up. He was like, yeah, I think we have uh, Lions. We had somebody from the Lions on a day. And we also Shots have this and that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Not for my benefit. They just kind of had it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. And of course, we have hot de- debate topics because that's when, you know, um, it wasn't an all debate show. And first and 10 was just a segment of the debates. So I do all this and I was like, oh my God, I thought that I had killed my TV career in three minutes, you know, but it got much easier as yeah. the show went on. But that is a part you have to get used to is I that went, yeah. it is literally, you know, it's full conversations going on in your ear as you're trying to concentrate on the things coming up next or interviewing somebody. I went to the grocery store yesterday to get some breakfast and uh, I had... I was listening to a podcast in one of my ears. I took one earbud out to be polite, right? <laughs> and the and the the girl behind the counter is trying to talk to me, and I just I couldn't do both. I was just wow. like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, because I mean, you, obviously, the one thing you have to resist is making sure that you're not looking like you're looking, you're listening to somebody. Yeah. So you can't go, huh? Say that again? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't talking to you. Like, you you can't do that. And so, um, it, it it really doesn't take as long as you think to get acclimated to it especially you know if you've been doing it for a while so that was no big deal yeah Um, yeah. I do want to talk about your first column that you ever wrote for ESPN which you know I know we're going back but in it you say that you you asked yourself your opinion on hip-hop right and you said that did I say something really dumb why do I have a feeling I said something really dumb and that's why you're asking me this well it gave me the impression that you did not like hip hop at the really? time really and but you really went in on Lil John. you were just like I don't fuck with Lil John at all damn I said that yeah damn now like, all like, those times that I got down to from the windows to the wall like right. now yeah. I feel bad it was it was a bold take yeah. it was a bold take yeah. there's two things that Jamel did not have foresight about it was Bartolo Colon yeah. and it was and it was, and it was Lil, Lil John. John. Yeah. clearly I didn't know he was about to be the musician of our time <laughs> But you, still killing but you, in Vegas. By the way, but so you yeah. like hip hop. I love hip hop. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up with hip hop, as as I'm sure many people. Yeah, you know, right. Like Eight to Mile, say. Cranbrook. We already went through this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nah, I mean, I, and like a lot of people, you're protective of whatever era hip hop that you feel like defined you as a hip hop fan. So, um, you know, for me, it was like 
you know, NWA and um, Two Live Crew. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, the amount of Two Live Crew I listened to in high school was probably pretty unhealthy. Yo, by the way, problematic in 2018. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't age quite as well, right? <laughs> were any of those the cassette tapes you were playing on your drive down to Raleigh? Uh, not with my mom, who, mom doesn't by the way, yet. destroyed my Two Live Crew tape because she she picked up the tape, and this is uh, it, it was uh, she had gotten remarried at the time, and it was me and my stepbrother. We were I was in his room, and she. Of course, you see their album covers. They don't leave much to the imagination. Well, right? Especially not that one. Yeah, yeah, not that one. You know the one I'm talking about. I think it's as nasty as I want to be. Yep. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So she picked. She saw this and she I picked think. it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> she picked it up and she just read the song titles and she was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> Which is ironic yeah, considering yeah. what the song titles were. And yeah. she immediately stomped it oh and, and crushed it. I mean, we bought another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, crazy, of course. but yeah. like, we, yeah, you got the clean version yeah. of face down, no. ass up. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, not the clean version. We just made sure to hide them better. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So, where did you hide your stuff? Um, at Disney World, where there's no curtains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you know, back then, you know, people had the the little cassette, like yeah. uh, I don't know, suitcases, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you had them all. And then, uh, especially when my grandmother bought me a car, it was much easier to hide yeah. in the glove compartment. You know, the all the trunk, car. all yeah. the yeah. trunk, right? Yeah. Then, you know, I progressed eventually to that CD booklet that looked like war and peace you know mm-hmm. we had like 300 <laughs> cds in there you know trying to manage it but no i mean run dmc like ll like i was I, i'm a huge uh hip-hop fan i so. mean rap something right now just do, it. <laughs> just do a quick 300 I bars I don't, I don't have bars right that's the one thing which my, it's funny my boyfriend gets mad at me about because he he your boyfriend uh, michael smith not michael smith <laughs> just for the record no he's yeah. my husband yeah, i'm sorry, talking yeah, about my boyfriend yeah, okay, gotcha, okay. Gotcha. yeah 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 um yeah because you know he likes to do like car karaoke and he was like come on just spit spit Is right quick james corden <laughs> I'm breaking all sorts of news on this podcast. <laughs> now you've linked me to three men. Right, Michael right. Smith, James Corden, and an unnamed person. Shout out to everyone over at Deadspin. Who's <laughs> it was like, oh this. my yeah. God, I can't wait to write that. Her and James Corden having an affair. But uh, no, like he, he'll like mess around and rap and he'll try to get me to join in and I'll look at him like he's crazy. Because I'm like, you know I can't rhyme. Right. <laughs> so it, it's a thing. But no, I, I now you have me curious. I want to go back and read this first column to see what I could have written that would have given the impression that I didn't love hip hop. I mean, if you, like I said, you went in on Lil John, Right. But that doesn't mean I didn't love hip hop. I don't know. All right. <laughs> hey guys, we just want to take one more second to interrupt this podcast with Jamel Hill to remind you guys that we have a book release coming up on September 4th, but now is the time to pre-order it. Go to Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, go to itsthereal.com and grab your copy of Rhyme Book. Right. It's a line notebook that has a ton of time wasters, a ton of games, a ton of blank pages for you to write your things on, but it also has one of our favorite things, which is a list of every single song that Jay-Z has not written down and the one song that he has. Well, do you want to tell the people what the one song is right now? I don't remember. The answer is no. No, you guys should get the book so you can find out which song he actually wrote down. Yeah. And all the other ones that he has not. Rhyme Book is available right now. Go get it for pre-sale so it will arrive to you on September 4th when it drops. Itsthereal.com is the best place to go get it, so go get it. Go get it. And now back to Jamel Hill. At ESPN, how did podcasting come into your life? Uh, podcasting came out of being told no. And, uh, you know, Mike and I, we really wanted to work together. And we got tired of being told no. Yeah. And so we said, all right, screw it. We're going to do a podcast. And we made it sound like we're going to go chew some gum. Like it was really <laughs> simple and easy. And, yeah. you know, that's all you had to do. But we had to audition for it. And uh, they liked our chemistry. And, you know, our first 
podcast was pretty terrible. Uh, it was as, the, as ones are. Yeah, like, yeah. All right. I mean, some are better than others. Our, ours out the gate. I mean, it's not going to win any awards. Uh, but it was the day after the Ravens had beaten the 49ers in the Super Bowl. And you, know, you had the, the lights going out, that controversy. Mm-hmm. You had Beyonce, who mm-hmm. was ridiculous. And down the line, when we had become more experienced and more comfortable with doing the podcast, we uh, talked about that first one and said, like, we should have done the entire podcast about Beyonce. But we were feeling this need to discuss something sportsy. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, as we evolved as podcasters, we saw that the audience response to us talking about everything but sports was ridiculous. So we would sort of fool them with a sports <laughs> story, if you will, that would be kind of, you know, introducing a, a conversation. And then we go way off on a tangent yeah. and talk about, you know, all sorts of things that were inappropriate and probably, <laughs> you know, and we got to curse, even though it was bleeped and mm-hmm. it was that part was great. And we were pretty convinced that the there's no way the bosses were listening to these podcasts. We're like, ooh, we're cussing a lot of that when no one noticed. This is awesome. So, uh, but it was that podcast that led to them uh, putting us together. So who's the person who approaches you and says, hey, this can actually be something on television? Well, I wish maybe in the, uh, you know, in the lifetime story, it'll work that way. Uh But Mm -hmm. in reality, it didn't quite work that way. So what happened was, uh, you know, we were podcasting and then for our Michael show at the time, Numbers Never Lie, Jalen Rose uh, left the show to do NBA Countdown. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of in a pinch because they were going with this concept of athletes debating each other. So it was him and Hugh Douglas, Jalen Rose and Hugh Douglas debating each other. Right. And, um, you know, and Mike as well, obviously. So it was sort of like athletes versus the journalists, you know, kind of was the theme of the show. Isn't it always? I I know, right? We always had to fight for our street cred. That's just the way it works. So let's put Jamel with Albert (laughs) Bell. Yeah, Yeah, that that works. That works. So Jamel uh, and Bell. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. That would have been a good radio show. Um, So, no, they they eventually, knowing they had to abandon the concept, they were like, okay, well, I mean, I know these two kind of work together. So. All right, here you go. They were reluctant. Uh, I think they were, it felt more uh, like a move out of necessity Mm -hmm. because they needed a third. Mm -hmm. They needed one fast. Mm -hmm. And Mike and I, you know, had history, friends, we're already podcasting. So, (laughs) married, yeah, Yeah, you're right. Um, You know, three kids. Yeah, Oh, it's growing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he actually has three kids. They just aren't mine. All right. Um, but no, I mean, so that was sort of the genesis of, of, of that. So we totally credit the things we were able to do on the podcast and the attention it, it started to get and the audience that we built. Because uh, even now, people are, they ask us constantly, are you bringing back the podcast? Where's the podcast? Because we had to retire from it once we did the 6 o'clock Sports Center because it was, it, I mean, it, it just was too difficult to do with the demands of, of doing Sports Center. Did you come up with the name His and Hers? I did. Okay. I did. Uh, our initial name um, was actually shot down. What um, was that? Um, because they thought it might, give the wrong connotation at the time i was really upset about it because i thought they were being overly sensitive but um you know after i got out of my feelings about it i thought it was the right decision it was just gonna be he said she said Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um so because i'd actually seen the movie that was touchy yeah because I, i think a lot of times that comes up whenever there's like a domestic violence case gotcha. or a sexual oh. assault so i understood like why there was some sensitivity to that gotcha. and yeah. his and hers 
frankly turned out to be a better name. Yeah. Yeah. Was it any different being on camera than it was just being behind microphones and audio only? Yeah. Once we, it was, it was so funny because I mean, as long as at, at that point, Mike and I had been friends and we had done some TV together, but not a lot together. So we had to kind of learn each other on TV. Uh, you know, just um, when you learn somebody on TV, you have to, you know, kind of learn when to jump in. You know, you know, there's this dance that you do basically on TV to, to help perfect our, our chemistry. Um, and, and with the podcast, when you're facing each other, it's easy. But there was a lot of podcasts I had to do remotely mm-hmm. because I wasn't living in Bristol full time until I joined uh, the television show. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, that was something we would crack up about because, you know, we it wasn't like we weren't used to talking, but we just had to learn how to interrupt each other as a, a producer said, uh, told yeah. us once. Yeah. So like, what are the things that you like notice that he does that like give you that chance to jump in? Well, I think we're just much like, I guess <laughs> this seems like a, a funny analogy given the joke we've been making, much like married people like learn to complete yeah, each other's yeah. sentences. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the same thing with us. And you know, you learn their pauses and you can tell by looking at their facial expressions when they have another thought coming or when they don't. Um, and you know, I think the beauty of why people liked our chemistry is because we learned and perfected the art of ping ponging. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some conversations you see on TV where people, you know, completely stop their thought and their conversation and they, okay, now you go. We knew how to go like back and forth, like boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so, uh, which <laughs> I'm sure at some points when editing our conversations, uh, you know, for, um, you know, portable packages probably made it a little <laughs> difficult because we were just going back <laughs> and forth so much. So, um, so yeah, I mean, and, and even when uh, we had camera reads, it, it, there were times where I would accidentally read his, and he would read mine, <laughs> and we, we didn't care. You know, they're, I mean, they're being more experienced in TV, you do see people who get upset if they're not on camera a certain amount of time or if somebody accidentally reads their script or, you know, We're stuff. We're talking like, about Jalen, right? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Tight. Such a diva. <laughs> Because he went to Michigan. Yeah, right? yeah that's, that's the difference. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, so we, we you know, learned that, that art of dancing on television together, you know, really, you know, perfectly. And if there is sort of anything I miss about, um, you know, sort of everything that's happened and just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, us not being on the Six O'Clock Sports Center is definitely doing television with them. Right. So, again, not your dream job. No. But you got put behind the same desk as, you know, Keith Olbermann, Dan mm-hmm. Patrick, Stuart Scott, Robin legends. Roberts. I mean, and six o'clock was yours. Yep. How did that feel when you got named to that? And how did it feel while you were behind that desk? Um, so when they originally approached us about the idea of being the 6 p.m. anchor host, our original response was laughter. Because <laughs> we were like, we're not anchors. We don't do highlights. <laughs> you know? And because we were thinking about Sports Center in a very traditional sense that most of us have, have grown up with. Mm-hmm. And as we had more conversations with them and we saw that they were going to give us the creative freedom that was very similar to what we had on His and Hers, and we could do very similar things on Sports Center that we did on His and Hers, we said, okay, let us get this straight um we're because we used to call our studio for his and hers the projects so (laughs) i know not the most politically correct name uh but uh so we go from the projects to this 17 million dollar studio a bigger audience that's like three times the size of what we have now more money Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and a prime time you know slot hell yeah like sign us up right and you know certainly for both of us who were you know, close to Stuart and he mentored both of us as in Stuart Scott, 
we often thought like, man, what would Stuart say if he were, you know, alive? And we became 6 p.m. Sports Center host. We know he'd be rooting us on, giving us probably advice we definitely could have used uh, at various points. And so, yeah, it meant a lot to be carrying on that that legacy. Um, but as I often joke, I was like, you know, uh, I will go down in Sports Center history because I'm pretty sure I had the shortest stint ever as a 6 p.m. <laughs> Sports Center host. 13 glorious months. <laughs> well, you didn't have like a sweet sassy molassy. You know? <laughs> that's, that's the problem. Uh, that is true. Um, do you have a really good uh, Stuart Scott story you can tell us? Well, one of the most fun podcasts that we ever did was when Stuart Scott put Mike in a chokehold. <laughs> it was his video. I have the video. It's pretty freaking awesome. And he, so Stuart had gotten into um, MMA. Yeah. And he was in excellent, you know, shape because one of his things is that, and this is what made him a special person in general, is that he never, he certainly didn't want people to pity him. And whatever, uh, you know, chemo and physical things he was going through he wanted to commit to doing something for himself to to not just better himself but just something he wanted to do just to have fun and to release tension and to stay in shape as well so mike made the grand suggestion actually Stuart. it was Stuart's suggestion first so was like oh i could easily show you a, a, a couple moves and mike was like no nah, no nah, i don't know you know probably kick my ass and i and then i was like oh mike you should do it i'm just aiming him on i'm like i'm instigating i'm like mike you should let him show you a couple moves we're in the podcast booth at at espn and um mike was like all right fine yes yeah, you can show me a, a couple moves so you know, Stuart was showing him this chokehold and Mike trying to be macho was like, you know, trying to kind of resist. And I was, I was like, Mike, you're turning red. You're turning red, dude. And he was like, damn out, damn out. And so like Stuart is totally yoking him up. And I was just like, oh my God. And we were just laughing hysterically. And uh, we took some video of it. And I, and I was like, man, Mike, don't you know, uh, when a, when an old head, when a vet tells you, let me show you some moves, the yeah. answer is always no. Because yeah. <laughs> they about to beat you down. So, um, so yeah, and, and even, um, I think one day we were on airs cause Stuart used to watch our show quite a bit and he left Mike this amazing voicemail about how much he loved the show and appreciated us. And, and just, it was a word of encouragement and Mike still has that voicemail, you know, to this day, I still have all the text messages that I sent Stuart over, you know, sort of the last few months, even now, cause I just can't bring myself to erase him. When you're term comes to a close <laughs> right. um, just over a year uh, do you feel all the shit that people give you online or have you come to sort of just like get beyond it it's 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 ugly mm-hmm. um, I guess uh, that's a complicated question to answer because it wasn't just you know a matter of trolls coming after us because that's you know that's to be expected and and anytime you have a platform it was that became the the actual narrative that was written you know um by any time a story was done on us it it was or and even in recent months that have been done about either espn or the 6 p.m sports center it has been done with the tone and the narrative that we were failures that um, mike and i were the face of an experiment gone bad and if you have any pride in your job or um, about your profession or the kind of work ethic that you felt like you put into it, 
uh, that is not a good feeling. And I don't feel that we were failures. Neither one of us feel that way. But the fact that that's the perception bothers me. And um, because there were a lot of reasons why we didn't work at six o'clock. And I could make excuses. Nobody be interested in hearing them, I'm for sure. But, you know, it was a change of philosophy that, you know, we didn't originally sort of sign up to do. <laughs> and I understood, we both understood why that philosophy changed. Uh, because leadership changed over the show and that happens. I mean, we were basically the, you know, the draft picks, you know, that were made and then you've got a new coach and a GM and they wanted to run a different offense and I respect their right to have wanted, uh, you know, their right to, to wanting to do that. But it, you know, did not sort of fall in line with the, with the vision both of us kind of had uh, for what we wanted to do at six o'clock. And so as a result of everything that happens, because when, when TV shows, it's definitely something I learned obviously from personal experience, but even seeing other people go through this, when TV shows fail, it's not one thing. Um, and it's a, it's a laundry list of things. Some, sometimes it has something to do with the talent. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just a combination of everything. So, I think for me that that is kind of the 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 hard part at times is being considered to be some kind of you know face of ESPN you know failure and um, you know because I, I know internally we're not looked at that way but I think that's the probably the perception that people have. Well, I, from an outsider's perspective, right? Just a viewer's perspective, it felt to us like. The tone of the, the the tone of the country was changing, and you were unfairly targeted and used as a pawn. And for a lot of us, it felt like you like no one had your back, and mm. and that was very disappointing. And you know whether you're seen as a success or a failure within the building, it felt like they didn't back you up like they should have. Right. Yeah, and and uh, just to just to be clear for you know, for everybody listening is that the changes that our show, um, the change, those changes that, the, you know, it, that we were undergoing were starting before anything, <laughs> before the controversy happened with me. Mm -hmm. And we were headed in that direction, whether that happened or not. Mm -hmm. And um, so they were kind of related, unrelated, if you will. Uh, I definitely think that with everything that happened with me, that probably made them more vigilant about speeding up even more so some of those changes but uh look i mean we i mean i've, I've obviously i've hashed over this uh, a lot <laughs> when people ask me about it but i've been at esp in 12 years built a lot of relationships there a lot of people i love and respect and admire that work for that company and while we were in a difficult spot um that if they really didn't have my back, I really wouldn't be there. Okay. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was yeah. like, they were, they're not in the business of charity. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think while this one part of, you know, my time there didn't quite work out. And again, long list of reasons why that, that was the case. Uh, I did feel the support of people there, especially, um, you know, my, my co-host for sure. Other anchors. I mean, it, it was really quite, overwhelming because uh, even you know the, these situations will happen in your career where if you're in corporate America there are going to be days where you and your boss see things differently 
And uh, that was certainly one of those times, uh, for sure. And they understood my position, and I understood theirs. I understood that they are in the business of building ESPN into a powerful brand. And that's not going to always coincide with how I feel socially or politically. Mm-hmm. It's Sometimes they're not going to be on the same page. And even when they suspended me, I told them, I was like, I don't hold any resentment, no ill will, because I get why you did it. I'm not saying I love it, <laughs> that mm-hmm. I love being suspended, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I get it. I get right. why you did it. I understand. Right. But when you were suspended by like the Orlando Sentinel. <laughs> <laughs> now see that one, you I didn't it. get that you one. Loved it. <laughs> almost suspended, almost. Um. Brought it up and I was like, what? Over baby mama? Like, how does that play on the resume? <laughs> was once suspended for using the term baby mama. <laughs> um, now you're at the undefeated. Yep. What have you enjoyed most about your time there? Uh, well, uh, it's just sort of being with an entity um, uh, at ESPN that is completely in line with not just who I am, but the type of things I want to write about. You know, The Undefeated is all about covering the, the cross-section between race, sports, and culture, which are my favorite things to write about. <laughs> and so uh, that part is great. The fact that I get to work with some of my best friends, you know, uh, Kelly Carter from The Undefeated, that was my best friend from college. And uh, Mark Spears, like it's so many of the, these writers I have known for a while, Jason Reed. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it feels like, you know, sort of coming home in a, in a, in a weird sense. Uh, Kevin Merida is, as I mentioned, that's somebody that I grew up reading, um, even though I like to mess with him and, and say that his wife is the better writer. His wife is <laughs> columnist for the Washington Post. Also, somebody I just she was my favorite columnist in college. So being in that environment, being in Washington, D.C., as opposed to Bristol, bit of a difference. Mm-hmm. I know that mm-hmm. might shock some people. <laughs> well, Washington, D.C. right now is awful. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, being back in a major city mm-hmm. and a major sports town, you know, even though everything I report out there isn't necessarily D.C.-based, but it's just kind of just being in that environment again. Um, that part I love. And then, you know, doing I still do television. Uh, but I'm able to cherry pick, mm-hmm. you know, who and what shows I, I want to do television with. And what's coming up next? Let's see. Uh, vacation, actually. Immediately. Immediately. That's coming up next. Um, You're Disney, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, where I'll be cursing up a storm <laughs> in the kingdom. So you'll be able to find me. It's a different language. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, um, no, it, it's it's funny because like most of the things on my plate the next three weeks or the next month is um, sort of more personal than professionals or a mixture of both. Like next week is a National Association of Black Journalists conference where I'll, where I'll receive my Journalist of the Year award. Congratulations! Thank yeah. you. I appreciate do you still have to pay for your membership? <laughs> I, I actually do. <laughs> and I, I was like, I just paid for it and and my and my conference registration. Mm. No. And look, this is the money maker. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, listen. Uh, so uh, I just have to prepare to keep my remarks under three minutes mm-hmm. in the acceptance speech because I don't want to get the wrap it up B. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. So that'll be a huge honor because of how long I've been a member of the organization. Some of the previous journalists that have won it: uh, Soledad O'Brien, April Ryan, Roland Martin. I mean, it's an incredible list. And mm-hmm. then you know, think of my name being alongside some of the best journalists. Uh, whoever did it is is pretty amazing to contemplate. How come you didn't name any white men? <laughs> so the way NABJ works, 
outcome uh, America. Uh, yes. But yeah, so back to your They're first. They're called the Pulitzers, by yeah. the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your first column, mm-hmm. I found it. Oh, God. <laughs> If you want to read it, or you want me to read it, either one. No, you read it. Okay. <laughs> I f- I read it with dramatic effect. Yeah, please. <laughs> you said, but the hip-hop question is one that black people always are asked because hip-hop has somehow become the downfall of black America, which is sarcastic. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was um, sarcasm, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'd rather blame the people who make kids as opposed to the ones who make records, but that's just me. Anyway, I'm an old hip-hop fogey. Lil Jon, though, makes me want to stick a pitchfork in my head. So that's <laughs> subtle. Damn! Yeah. Yeah, that's and despite what everyone believes, the most serious problem in hip-hop isn't the violence or calling women hoes. The biggest problem is that rappers are too loud and incoherent. I can't be offended by what I can't hear half the time. I prefer rappers who have something intelligent to say. So that's... Wow. Yeah. That takes sort of age well. Yeah. Because oh. I'd say the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be like... Mm. Actually, I kind of went wrong on that one. I may have put picked the wrong example. Right. Because right. Little John does bang in the club. You could say Lil, Lil anything now, and it's right. just like, yeah, exactly. it applies. But there, there are some rappers that that definitely <laughs> applies to. Have wow, you have you harsh. been back to Michigan State uh, to speak? Yes. How did that go? Um, it was a weird time to be on campus, okay. as you might imagine, because uh, right. I was there in February. Because with all oh, the so Larry, that's a very weird time. Yeah, because oh. with all the Larry Nassar yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, stuff that had happened. But the one thing I did appreciate about being there is that in talking to students, talking to faculty, administrators there, I mean, they were sickened by what went on. There was no excuse making. There was no, I'm just going to cape for the university because I work here or go here. There was no blind loyalty. They wanted accountability. They wanted leadership change. And they wanted to construct a new system where that something like that or even close to that or even a tenth of that never happens again. Mm. So from that standpoint, I was very proud of, uh, you know, Michigan State alums and those who worked there for how they handled the situation. Because, look, Larry uh, Nasser is a monster and he deserved everything that that has happened to him and will happen to him. But. That isn't going to make me ashamed to have gone to Michigan State. Mm-hmm. I think two things can exist at the same time. I can be equally sickened of that and be proud to have a degree from the university. Totally. Has Michigan State given you an honorary degree on top of your... <laughs> My degree, like, yeah. maybe, maybe think of something better. But the only thing they... Uh, they did give me... I did win... Um, uh, a rising alumni award. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so I, I did. I got that a few years ago, mm-hmm. and so I got to go to commencement. So that was pretty awesome. That's dope. Um, but yeah, now now that you said it, I should totally push for a doctorate. No, you know what though? Even if they didn't give you any doctorate, you still got based on the mail you got from uh, <laughs> from the prisons. You are still a woman of letters. <laughs> that right? that yeah. is true. So, so Mel, we appreciate this so much. Congratulations on everything. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Everything that you've done from Detroit to Philly to Raleigh to Orlando and and to ESPN and Washington DC. It's it's really been amazing to watch. And thanks so much for being here. No, I appreciate that. And Lil John, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you hadn't made window to the wall yet, man. That's what it was. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time With It's The Real Jeff. If people want to find out more about us, I'm Eric, your Jeff, for Beyonce's team. They should know who we are by now. We're It's The Real. This podcast is called A Waste of Time With It's The Real and Jeff. If people want to find out more about our upcoming shows, about our upcoming books, about our upcoming podcasts, about everything that's going on in It's The Real's world, 
where can they go? You can go to itstherreal.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com. No apostrophes, no spaces, always one word, it's the real. You can also find our podcast at soundcloud.com slash a waste of time, or you can go on iTunes, search for a waste of time with It's The Real. We are also on Spotify. I know a lot of people listen on Spotify yeah. and most other streaming services. I'm not going to list them all, but, but they exist. They exist, and we appreciate every single one of them. Shout out to all of you. We are also making music. Yeah. Our album, Teddy Bear Fresh, is on Spotify and all the other streaming services, like I just said. Mm-hmm. And you can go find that there. We have features in from Smoked is a Currency. Fun B. A, a lot of different people. Yeah. Go check it out. Go, go press play. Okay. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at It's The Real. Instagram at It's The Real. I'm on Fortnite at It's It's The Real. I'm not good. Are you taking all challengers regardless? You're going to kill me. Oh. Every single person out there is going to kill me. All right. So it's it's the real on Fortnite. Yeah. Come say hi. Yeah. Jeff, each week we like to shout out people at the end of the podcast to let them know how much we appreciate them rocking with us week to week, whether you're a new fan, an old fan, regardless. We just love the fact that you guys appreciate us because we appreciate you. Jeff, who do you want to shout out? I want to shout out somebody that we could have shouted out a million times. Okay. Because he has been a loyal uh, listener, loyal uh, fan of the podcast, all mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. I want to shout out Don Pablo. This is Diesel on Twitter, who uh, also is followed by Jamel. Right on. Yeah. I, Jeff, would like to shout out another longtime listener, another great human being, Emily O. Estevez. Woo. Shout out to Emily, who not only bought an It's the Real LA t shirt, who not only has met us in person has not only been a constant source of support for us, has not only jumped in It's The Real Instagram Lives and had to pull over her car to do so, but lives in Utah. Yeah, we're going there. The Rosalo Boys are taking a little trip to Utah and Arizona coming up, and we look forward to seeing her when we're in town. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Waste Time with It's The Real. Thanks, everyone, who has jumped on that pre-sale and gotten Rhymebook at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, or at itsthereal.com. And shout out to everybody who's getting excited for that next live show with your boys It's The Real here in Manhattan. Get ready for the announcement on Wednesday and tickets, which will go on sale on Friday. As always, guys, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.